There is no God like Jehovah. If you believe that's not just a saying, if you believe that's the case, would you put your hands together and praise that Jehovah God? The old black Baptist preacher used to say that you went to bed last night, the devil was pulling that you would not wake up. But God woke you up this morning. And this afternoon, if you are here praising God, you are to thank him for that. Amen? Um, there's a word from the Lord this morning. Um, I want to call your prayerful attention to Psalm 103. It's good to see all your lovely faces through your mask, or lovely eyes, I should say. Amen? Um, Psalm 103, we want to go over the five, uh, first five verses this, this afternoon. Um, my daughter says, stop saying morning, it's afternoon. So, this afternoon. First five verses. Um, if you keep a spirit of reverence, I'll read um, into your reading, um, into your hearing, um, the Word of God. I'll be reading from the ESV version. Here's what the Word of God says. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The word of God for the people of God. Would you bow and join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word that is already blessed. Father, as we come to the pinnacle of our worship experience, which is your preach word, Father, may you speak through me, for we are all listening. Father, we know there is no preaching without praying. So, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Mold me, shape me, so that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, will be acceptable into your sight. O oh Lord, my rock, my Savior, and my Redeemer. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And just say amen. Come on, say amen one more time. Um, you may be seated. If you, I want, I want, I want you to pray, play preacher with me this afternoon. Said an honest look in the mirror. I heard David, I heard PJ. Let's try it again. An honest look in the mirror. Thank you, Pepper. An honest look in the mirror. That's an expression that really means self-reflection. It is said that anyone, no matter the age or position that you have in life, if you have any concern about your purpose, any concern about your role, you must have moments of self-reflection. Some people have quoted by saying, we are to look in a mirror daily and sometimes hourly in order to have true self-reflection. I don't mean to pick up on the ladies, but I know the gentlemen spend as much time in the mirror as the ladies. Those of you coming here this afternoon, you look in the mirror more than once to make sure that you were flawless. And I can tell 
you look flawless. Bishop is laughing with me. Amen. We looked in the mirror to make sure that we are right. Um, nobody wants to go out, look like a hot mess. Because you want to look in the mirror. When you look in the mirror, if there's any flaws, the mirror is supposed to tell you to fix whatever needs to be fixed. Can I get a witness this morning? An honest look in the mirror is a prerequisite for growth in every aspect of life. To have an honest look in the mirror also requires you to be intentional. Um, it is said that only a fool look in the mirror and sees something that's not right and does not fix it. If I look in the mirror, I, re I realize there's spinach in my teeth. If I don't go ahead and clean my teeth and I go out, then people, well, now people wear a mask, but people make fun of you because you have spinach in your teeth. If after you look at it, it's on you. It's not on nobody. So the reality of it is, we must look in the mirror and we must be willing and ready to make the changes that is required upon you looking in the mirror. Well, it is my deeply held conviction that David, the psalmist of the psalm, Psalm 103, is asking us to have an honest look in the mirror. And David did exactly that. No matter your age, no matter your status in life, no matter the season that you are in life, an honest look at the mirror is something that is required and that's something that we must continually look after that. Walk with me in Psalm 103. Psalm 103 is, is a sum of wisdom as well as a sum of praise. In other words, the sum brings you wise uh, um, sayings and wise principle to live your life by. But by the same token, this is a sum that upon you reading the sum, upon you singing that sum, you can't stay quiet because by you reading the sum, singing the sum, you realize how good God has been to you. I don't know about you, but when you realize how good God has been to you, the fact that you are still breathing in this pandemic, you can help but to say hallelujah, even with your mask on. Charles Spurgeon, probably one of the world's most famous preachers who ever lived, he said this about when David wrote the psalm, and, and, and some people said David wrote Psalm 103 at a later part of his life when he was able to reflect upon where he's been, what God has done for him. Spurgeon says this, Spurgeon agrees, says this, we should attribute this to his later years when he had a higher sense of preciousness of pardon because of a keener sense of sin than his younger days. He says this, his clear sense of the frailty of life indicates his weaker years, as also does the very fullness of his praiseful gratitude. Well, Psalm 103 can be split into three ways. I'm only going to go on the first part. And the, if you want to outline the psalm in the first five verses, that's what we're going to see today. We see David, David reviews the mercies of God to him. And the next, uh, um, in verses 6 to 18, we saw now he brings it from a personal to a national, asking everybody to review God's mercies over Israel. 
And then in the last three verses of the Psalm 19 to 22, we see that he calls all of creation, the angels and human beings alike, to praise God. Well, my focus, as I mentioned this afternoon, is on the first five verses. So now that first, those first five verses give us this mirror that David looks into. And here is my hope. As we see what the mirror David looked into, I hope that we can personally look into this mirror and hopefully we can see the same thing that David saw and then naturally we can have the same response that he had. Y'all with me? Y'all with me? Look, amen, shake your head, say amen, amen, amen. Y'all with me? Amen. Notice when David, even before that, this is the part where David talking to himself. David is having a talk to himself. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes you're driving, or sometimes you're walking, and you're having a self-talk. What was the song? Sometimes you got to encourage yourself, right? David is talking to himself. And, 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 and this is a heart-to-heart, but it's more so a reflection upon his own heart. David is putting everything on the table. Because what happens is when you look in the mirror, when you're doing that self, when you're in a self-reflective mode, you cannot have hidden issues. You have to put everything on the table. In other words, when you look in the mirror, if your eye is messed up, mirror is going to show that. If your eyelashes is messed up, mirror is going to show that. If your hair is not right, mirror is going to show that. If the dress or the suit does not flatter you, the mirror is going to show that. So you have to be willing to make the corrections that the mirror is suggesting that you make. So now David is having a heart to heart. David is talking to himself, to his heart. He's reflecting. And here, David did not talk about God, but David is reflecting upon what God has done in his life. Here, he talked to his soul. And the word soul here is the word that used over 750 times in the Bible. And simply, he defines it in the next saying. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. And within me, this is like your inner, inner, your deep, deep self. And soul typically represents the entirety of the human being. When we speak about soul, we, we see the intellect, we see the, the emotional, we see the physical. In other words, the totality of the human person. Whether you are five years old, whether you are 55 years old, and you have a soul. And David says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And here, David is looking at the real David. Not the fake one. Not the one that's on social media. Not the one that, that you pretend to show your friends. He's looking at the real issue. I, I love when, when people who, who change, transform their bodies and, and they would take a picture. There's a show that used to come on TV. I'm trying to remember the name of it, but there's a show that used to come on TV, right? Um, Big Loser. I, I think it was a Big Loser, right? Biggest Loser, right? And they would show the person free getting into the program, and post after they're done with the program. And, and see, the reality of it is, if you're not willing to take that picture to, to look at how you look prior to getting into the program, then you cannot, you cannot have a self-reflection. You cannot be in a self-reflective mode. David is looking at 
the real David. The real David inside. And he says, you, David is speaking to himself, he says, you need to be doing some things that you've not been, you, you not been doing. I don't know if David was depressed or discouraged or just drifting at, at this point, but it didn't matter. David was reflecting upon himself. Notice that David, as he was reflecting upon himself, did not talk about his position or his wealth. He didn't say, oh, I am the king. I am God's favorite. He didn't say that. He didn't say that I have the army under my control. He didn't say that I have wealth. He didn't say I have all these women. He didn't say, no, he didn't say that. He said, bless the Lord, O my soul. Because David just reminded himself of God's goodness towards him. And I believe this afternoon, just like David, we need to be reminded of God's goodness towards us. Now, first question that I have as we think about the text it says, bless the Lord, O my soul. What does it mean by bless? And remember a few weeks ago, we talked about Barak, right? And, and, and last time, in the context that it was used, it was kneeling down. This time, in the context that the word is used, is in the context of me, meaning esteem greatly or praise. The, the word here is using in this context is, is great esteem or great praise. And, and, and so, so then... David now is saying this, I want to see God in a high esteem. Um, when I was back in the ancient time when I was in school, whenever the principal walks in, the whole class stands up and said, good morning, Mr. or Madam Principal. Y'all remember those days? Those of you who went to school in the ancient years? If the president of the United States walked over, walk in a room, when he goes in a room, everybody stands as a reverence to who the president is. That's giving esteem to who the person is. Right? You guys ever pay attention? Well, I know manners don't, don't matter anymore to a lot of people. But when somebody older comes into your house, you don't sit down when they arrive. You got up so you can greet them. Because that's showing esteem. And David is here using bless the Lord. He's saying, like, I want to give God the highest esteem. And, and, and that's another word you can say, praise. I want to praise God. That's why you don't just praise, you don't praise people. You can encourage somebody, but you don't praise people because only God deserves our praise. I know we're in a culture where everybody wants to be praised. Everybody wants to be lauded. No, 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 no. We don't praise people. You do a good job, good job. But that's not me praising you. That's me encouraging you. Praising is reserved to God because God is the only one that needs to be in the highest esteem. So now, dear Carson, one of my favorite theologians says this. He says, when the Lord blesses us, he reviews our needs and responds to them. But he says, when we bless the Lord, we review his excellencies and respond to them. Let me say this again in case you missed it. When God blesses us, God reviews our needs and he responds to them. When we bless God, God ain't got no need. God does not have any need. So now what we do when we bless God, we ponder upon what God has done. We looked upon God and say, you know what? Only God could have done this. 
We need to teach our children that only God can do this. We need to teach our, we remind ourselves, only God has been able to do this. It's funny, my kids think I'm rich. They think I'm rich. They think I'm filthy rich. I mean, that's a prophetic word. But the reality of it is most of our children think we are. Why? Because whatever that they need, they think that the blue card in your pocket, aka Chase, right? They think that blue card pays for everything. And the reality of it is the blue card, the blue card does pay for everything that they need, that want. You all get that? Right? But see, we have to let them know that the blue card that pays for everything, it's not because mommy and daddy is all, got it all like that. You all missed that, right? It's because God has been able to bless mommy and daddy, so therefore what you need, the blue card pays for. But really, it's not the blue card that pays for it. It is God. So then we ought to be able to praise God for his excellencies and, and respond to them because when we bless them, because he has met our needs and respond to them accordingly. The, to bless the Lord is to remember that he is the source of our, all our blessings. Before I get into the five things I want to say, and I'll take my seat. David says something that I want you to pay attention to. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. And he goes, bless the Lord, O my soul. And whenever you see repetition in the Bible, that means it's important, right? So David want to make sure you understand to bless God. But also, there's a, a, a clue that happens in the text. It says, and forget not all of his benefits. We have a tendency to be forgetful. We have a tendency to forget what God has done for us. As a matter of fact, if we pay attention, most of us go like, well, well, I don't know. How come I never get what I want? How come I never this? And, and sometimes those of us adults, we throw tantrum and forgetting what God has, what God did for us, right? And David here is reminding himself because here is the thing to forget what God has done for you is to be prideful. Let me say this again. To forget what God has done for you is to be prideful. And the Bible says God hates what? The proud. A prideful heart. Thank you, PJ. Thank you for being a witness. Amen. God hates the prideful heart. So when you now are not able to ponder upon what God has done and to give him thanks and to put him in the high esteem, is you being proud. Because the moment you're not thanking God, you're not blessing him, for what he has done, that's you pounding your chest says, I make that happen. Last time I checked, it don't matter how much money you make, it doesn't matter what kind of job you have, who holds your breath? At this very moment, God can say, the breath belongs to me, I take it away. And what happens to you? You were here today? James says this, we are like vapor. We were here today and tomorrow we're gone. I lived in Pittsburgh for six years. Pittsburgh has very, uh, a lot of hills. And sometimes you're driving in the morning, you can barely see because the vapor is everywhere. It's foggy. It's foggy everywhere. I can guarantee you, 15 minutes later, you drive the same area, it's all clear. Vapor's all gone. The fog is all gone. Our lives are similar to this. And that's what David says, y'all got to remember to praise God. He doesn't just stop there. When he looks in the mirror, when he looks in the mirror, there are some things that he notices. And I pray and hope that when you look in the mirror, when you and I look in the mirror, we can notice the, the same things. Let's look at David's mirror. Look, look what it says. Number one, and, and verse three, 
In verse 3 in, in, in Psalm 1, it says, at the end of verse 2 says, forget not all of his benefits. And then now he begins to give you somewhat of a list of the benefits. And this is not all the things that you can be grateful for. But this is some of the primary things you need to be grateful for. You guys with me? Quickly, look at your Bible. In verse 3, the first part, it says, Who forgives Who forgives all your sins? Now I know. I know you have been born all your life into Christianity. You never sinned. You're perfect. But for those of us who are not born of Christian faith, when we can think back of where God has taken us from, when we can think of the sins that we used to be in, and then now God has forgiven of us those sins, we understand what this means here. Because it says to forgive all your iniquity. The biggest thing that can happen to someone is for your sin to be forgiven. When your sins are forgiven, you are right with God. You guys do understand that God hates sin. God hates sin so much that he sent Jesus Christ to pay the price for sin. God took the very best of heaven and killed him. Pay the price for the very worst of humanity. Uh, you, you think you were all cute and it's because of how you look. It's because of the clothes that you were. No, 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 no. You are a sinner. And if you are not clothed with the blood of Jesus Christ, you ain't cute. That's the part where you say amen. I, I, I know, I know this morning I, I can get no help. But if you ain't clothed with the blood of Christ, you ain't cute. Because you are filthy Sinner, And here, David says, who forgives all your sins or all your iniquities. One of the greatest benefits mentioned in verse 3 is the forgiveness of our sins. When the magnitude of our sin and the righteousness of God are understood, this forgiveness is staggering. And that's a reason for us to praise and honor in God. And I know this morning you're sitting here in your Baptist self, you're being quiet, but I just said something for you to even put your hands together and praise God. When you realize how much sin you've committed, how much sin you continue to commit, how much sins you will continue to make in the future. But here's the good news. Your sins of past, your sins of present, your sins of future, if you are in Christ, they are all forgiven. That's the part where you put your hands together and say, praise the Lord. Significantly, this is the first benefit listed. David's mind, and in, in his mind, the most important thing was to have your sins forgiven. Even more important than physical healing. You can be sick and get well and still go to hell. You can be sick and get better only to die and go to hell. But if your sins are forgiven... You can die at the age of five. You can die at the age of 95. But if you know your sins are forgiven, you know where you're going. And that's why this is important. Forgiveness is something that we all long for. Ernest Hemingway, um, in one of his short stories, The Capital of the World, he wrote this, and, 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 and I don't think I've used this illustration here, but I think I've used it in, in, in New Jersey, right? And he used this, this illustration, right? He used this this, this, and this short story, the story revolves around a father and his son, and his teenage son, Paco, in Spain. Paco was extremely com a common name in Spain at that time, with desires um, to become a, a matador and, and to escape his father's control, Paco took off and he left his house. He ran away to the capital, right? 
through the capital, Matador, that's where he's from, Madrid, that's the, the, the Spain. So his father, who was desperate to reconcile with his son, follows him to Madrid. And he puts an ad in the local newspaper with a simple phrase. Dear Paco, meet me in front of the Madrid newspaper office tomorrow at noon. All is forgiven. I love you. Guess what? The next day, there were over 800 Pacos that pop up in front of the newspaper building seeking forgiveness. I don't know about you, but if, I, if, if, if you like me, I am one of those Pacos always seeking God's forgiveness. That's how much forgiveness is important because when you are forgiving, that means you've been pardoned. You, you know, I, I love how the, the, the President of the United States have the ability at the end of his term to forgive just about anybody. The President has the pen to give the pardon. And I remember this like it was yesterday when Bill Clinton was leaving office. His brother uh, uh, um, had records. You know, his brother got some trouble. And then Bill Clinton forgave his brother. And his brother was pulled over in Los Angeles while he was driving. And then the cop who ran his record seen nothing. And, but he knew this guy had a record. But it says nothing when he ran his record. And he had to let him go. Why? Because he was forgiven. What I'm trying to tell you is this. When you know you are forgiven by God, all your records have been erased. That's the forgiveness that we have in God. God loves you. God is eager to forgive you. God is ready to forgive you. God wants to forgive you. That's why he sent Jesus Christ to save you. That, that's not all. David moves from forgiveness and now he goes for uh, um, recovery from sickness. He goes from healing. Look at the second, second thing, right? And the second part of verse 2. And he heals all your diseases. Oh, there are godly people who suffer. I mean, we have funerals here at times. We have people that, that are now in COVID ward and people are dying and, 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 and some godly people are dying. Here, it doesn't mean that when it says heal your diseases, it is a, there's a physical component to it. But there's no greater healing than you being in the presence of your Savior. You guys do understand that healing is not just when your body gets better. But healing is when you are away from this body and be in the presence of Jesus Christ. Woo! All right. That didn't go well. <laughs> True healing is not just your body being restored to the previous stage that it was in. True healing takes place when you finally are away from this body. The old Haitian says, there will be a day, there will be no more sickness, no more disease, no more taxes. Can I say that again? No more taxes to pay. No more chronic disease. No more arthritis. You, 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 wait, wait your time. You just, just begin to get older. You're going to realize that when the weather changes, your knees start cracking up. When it's about to rain, right, your knees start hurting. Your, your, your ankles, your, 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 your wrist, your elbow, your shoulders, they're going to start, don't worry, they're going to start hurting. I remember when I was younger, I used to be on the phone all night long 
When my wife and I were dating, we used to be on the phone all night long and going to the next day, just go take a shower and just go to work. We're on the phone. She was in up north. I'm down here. We're on the phone all night long. Now I can't do that anymore. You're getting old. And, and the reality of it is when God heals all your diseases, that's another great benefit for God's care for our bodies. Even while we hear, God is still bringing healing to us both natural and in a miraculous way. Now, here's my thing. Now, I know everybody now is an expert, is a medical expert. Here's the thing. You can take all the medication given. That's not what's going to bring about the healing. You should take the medication that's given to you. But it is God who decides if he's going to heal you. Right. One person got it. In, in other words, let, 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 let me put it to you this way. In other words, when you have a headache, you take a Tylenol, and the other goes away. It is not the Tylenol who did, who did the job. God used the Tylenol to bring about relief for you, because God knows if that headache continues, you're about to lose your mind. So those of us who've experienced God, God's healing in our body, we are to praise him. You never know anybody who had cancer, and God delivered them from cancer? Praise the Lord. You never know anybody who, who was sick and, and we pray for people. And that's a good thing when we're sick. The Bible says this in James again. When somebody's sick, pray for them. You, it's good to pray for sick people. When somebody texts me and says they are sick, pray for me. You know what I do? Whatever I'm driving, if I'm driving, at that moment I say, God, in, your, in Jesus' name, Father God, if it's in your will, heal their body. I may not remember later on to pray for that, but that moment I got the message, I pray. And when we all pray, have you ever seen when somebody is sick and, and there's a prayer chain, there's people that are saying, pray, 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 pray. Why, why do we pray? It's because we believe prayer works. There's no greater medicine than prayer. But you take your medication, you take whatever you need to take, whatever's been given to you, but pray because God can bless the medicine to do miraculous things in your body. We have to have this. Mindset, um, knowing that God provides healing in our body. So not only we see forgiveness, not only we see healing, but thirdly, we see deliverance from death. Thirdly, deliverance from death. Here's what the text uh, um, says. Verse 4, it says, who redeems your life from the pit. The word pit here is the word for death. And you guys know redeems is to take you out of trouble, is to get you where you cannot, to get you out where you cannot get yourself out. And, and, and it, it says this, redeems your life from destruction. Many know the powerful blessings of God's rescue from sure destruction. Many knows the calamities are spared for the child of God. Do you guys know how many accidents take place every day on the road? I have an insurance guy here who can tell, us, can tell us all about this. You guys know how many accidents take place every day? But when was the last time you were in a car accident? You guys know how many deadly accidents take place every day? When was the last time it was you? As a matter of fact, if you are sitting here, it's because God has spared your life. That's the reason for you to praise God. Don't think it's because you're such a good driver. <laughs> there are people who, 
drive by the book. You, you know, th there are certain things, certain blessings that, that we, we take for granted. We think it's our birthright. Children, when your parents get you up in the morning and they drive you to and from school and you come home, you ought to also say, praise the Lord. Not because my daddy or my mommy was a good driver, but it's because God protected us on the way to and from. There's certain elementary stuff we need to go back and remind our kids, remind ourselves that God, thank you for your protection on the highways and the byways. You know, every day I take 95. Every day I take I-95, north and south, to get to my, my destination and from my destination. And, and I've seen accidents on 95. I've sometimes, recently, a, a few weeks, about a month or so ago, a, a, a tinker kind of got caught in 95, and the whole thing was blocked. And guess what? I was able to get off Copens and get out and go my merry way, and I was a part of it. And when I go back and w w w read the news, there were 20 cars that was involved in this crash. People were badly hurt. And this was like maybe five minutes prior to me getting there. You think it was because I was such a good driver or my timing was so perfect that God spared me from this? I'm not trying to be autobiographical, but I'm, so, I'm trying to tell you is this. If you've been spared... I mean, COVID, people that you know, or even yourself, you may have had COVID, but how many people you know dying of COVID or dying as a result of COVID, but you are still here. That's the reason for you to thank God for, because God had spared your life. He delivered you from death. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Not only we see forgiveness of sins, healing of diseases, deliverance from death. Now we see, fourthly, abundant loving kindness and mercy. Here the text is this, and crowns you with loving kindness and compassion or mercy. It crowns you. Um, there's a young lady that I know, a young girl, she's seven now, um, her father always called her princess. And she has many crowns in her room. Doesn't matter what anybody says, whenever her hair is done, she goes in her room and put a crown on top of her head. Because she is princess. And now, I don't know who I'm speaking to, but the idea is simply this. When God says he crowns you. Now, there's only a few royal people left in the world, like the, the, the British and the Belgians and, and someplace in Africa. And only those people, quote unquote, have the crown, right? As a matter of fact, there's a show on Netflix, one of those channels called The Crown that chronicles the life of the queen. But here is the thing. You will never get this crown that the queen has. But here's what I, I'm here to tell you. When you are a child of God, God has crowned you himself and called you his, and you are a prince, you are a princess in God's kingdom. So don't take that for granted because God has crowned you with loving kindness and mercy. I, I, I want to I I dig in here a little bit. When it says crowns with loving kindness and tender mercies, God's greatness extends beyond sparing us from our sins, disease, and trouble. 
Through God's blessing, we are crowned with love and mercy. Love and mercy. Love is something that is unconditional. And mercy here is saying this. You've been getting what you don't deserve. As a matter of fact, it's knowing what you deserve. You deserve the very, you deserve the punishment. You deserve, you deserve the death. You deserve the disease, but God spared you. And God says, I'm giving you mercy. When I was a kid, I remember my grandmother, the only grandmother that I knew, whenever she was in town, there was mercy that was given. What I mean by this, if I did something wrong, my dad was about to give me a Haitian butt whooping. My grandmother would say, grass or mercy. In other words, she would say, yes, he deserved to get beaten up. But because she loves me. She loved me. And then she would say, Fergasno, Fepal. When you receive God's mercy, God's mercy, that's exactly what it is. You don't get what you deserve. God has showered you with loving kindness and mercy instead of you getting what you deserve. I don't, again, this is David looking in the mirror. You know, you know who David was? A murderer, an adulterer, a liar. But God spared him. So now, when he looked in the mirror, he ain't trying to be cute. The problem with most of us is this. When you, when we look in the mirror, we're not really, we have a foggy mirror, mirror. Because we're not being honest. See, David is putting it all on the table. The symbol of being crowned suggests that our royal glory and authority are divine love and mercy. Paul sees believers as reigning with Christ. That in the age, in Ephesians 2, 7, he says this, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Because when I am in Jesus, I am somebody. I am somebody. I often say this, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody. Like Cassie Grant says, all about somebody who saved my soul. But the rest to show that in Christ Jesus, I am somebody. I'm, my name may not be written in lights. My name may not be famous. But here's what I know. Because my name is written in the book of life, I got a crown. Put a crown on me. You know, you know what, 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 was the, what was the saying? The rapper said, put some respect on my name. No, put a crown on my head. Because Jesus Christ put a crown on me because through him, I am royalty. I'm telling you this morning, this afternoon, through Christ Jesus, you are not just anybody. That's why you can just behave just any kind of way. That's why you cannot be just talking any kind of talk. Because here's the funny thing. A royal have protocol. What am I saying? That seminary professor um, had a daughter of his that was doing a PhD in, in Ireland. And, and, and at a school in Edinburgh. And, and that school had one of the royals that was attending that school as well in Ireland. And, and, and my professor's daughter, she is American. And you know, Americans are not great on etiquette, right? So the royal that was at the school wanted to meet the, 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 the American student, my, my, my professor's uh, um, daughter. And then she thinking it's just gonna be a regular meeting. No, before the meeting, they sent her the protocol on, upon how she ought to behave in the presence of royalty. Y'all missed that. I'm not talking about my professor's daughter. 
I'm talking about you when you realize that you are royalty. And the Bible has given the protocol upon how you are to behave. And the Bible has given the protocol upon how people are to reach towards you. The problem is, if you don't know your Bible, then you don't know how you are to be treated. You don't know how people are supposed to speak around you, how they're supposed to be. That's why you allow any kind of fables and, 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 and meaningless talk and, and nonsense around you. Remember this. It's, this is not for you to be prideful, but this is for you to understand, this is why I'm in Christ. I'm not just a anybody. I am a child of the Most High God. Last time I checked, my daddy has the whole world in his hands. Last time I checked, everything that happens, it was because my daddy spoke of it and it happens. So then when I realized that the Bible says the world and all that it contains belongs to God, when I realized this is who my God is, then I'm not, I'm not just anybody. You can treat me any kind of way. That's why you don't just lay your back with just anybody. That's why you don't just go into anybody's bed. That's why you don't just do any kind of thing. You don't just drink any kind of drink. That's why you don't just behave any kind of way. It's, it's not because of social norms. No, it's because you are royalty. You've been crowned with loving kindness. I'm done. I'm the last one. We see forgiveness of sin. We see healing, healing of diseases. We see deliverance from death. We see um, abundant loving kindness. And here's the last one. God has enough food to sustain us. He provides enough to sustain us. Our sustainability is not upon us, but it's upon God. Here's the last part of the verse um, 5. It says, verse 5 says this. It says this, who satisfies your desires with good things. Somebody said good things. Good thing. Good things belongs to you. This is not just a, a name it and claim it. It's because God himself satisfies you with good things. And here's the rest of the verse. It says this, so that your youth is renewed like the ego. Who satisfies your mouth with good things. The result of God's work both and, and what he saves us from and what he saves us into is to bring true satisfaction to our lives. Let me say that again. The result of what God saved us from, we are saved from eternal damnation. We are saved from the pit of hell. And God saves us into his family, into eternal life, into the Christian family. So then that ought to bring satisfaction. I don't understand how you have somebody who's a Christian who is not satisfied. I didn't say settle. I said was not satisfied. Doesn't make sense. I remember watching um, 2010 when the earthquake happened in Haiti. There was this lady that was blind. And she was singing a song. And she had one of the most angelic voice that you can hear. She was singing a song that says, I thank you, God, for all that you've given me. And the, the ABC guy that was doing the interview they, they, she was living in a little shack, right? One of those mud house, right? And she was singing and praising God. And they said, how can you be happy? How can you have satisfaction when you're living in a shack with 10 other people? You don't even have food to eat. You're eating mud pie. And she says, because I know that's not where I belong. That's not, where, that's not all that's going to be for me. 
realize this, you living in America, you have first world issues. And you think because you got first world issues, that's going to take away your satisfaction and you've forgotten how good God has been to you. I, I know, I, I know I can get no help. I know. I know I'm your choice, but it's okay. The Lord satisfies the longing heart and he does not withhold any good things from those who walk uprightly. There is no satisfaction in this world, but we have satisfaction in Christ who is the bread of life. And he's also the good shepherd and who leads us in green pasture. In other words, when I know that I can go to sleep peacefully, I can wake up and just say, thank you, Lord. And God provides everything for me from the highways to the byways to your job when you get there, that your boss could have been crazy. Somebody could have gone postal, but because you are there, God provides. And so therefore, he sustains you. He provides everything for your life. He is, it says, he uses this imagery here. It says, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Eagle does not fly low. Eagles fly high. You, you know what I mean? Like, eagles, do, do, they, don't, they don't mess around down there. They go at high altitude. There can be a hurricane. The eagle has enough in, in, in his lung to go above the hurricane at a higher altitude and just chill up there. And, and, and this, this illustration, uh, I'm not, it's not a true story, but, but I want you to picture this illustration. They say this, egos typically live about 30 to 40 years, but egos can live up to 75 years. They are the oldest living birds. They live the longest. But the problem that exists with egos is this, their beacon, their beak gets too big, and the calcium around their beak make it very heavy. And what happened is because of their feathers and they pluck on top of each other. And they say this, this again, this is, this is a make believe, but I believe it applies in our context. And they said this, if the ego wants to live to be 75, when they're about 30, 35, they have to make a decision. And the decision that they have to make is that they have to go up high on the mountain. Right? And remember, egos, nobody feeds egos but themselves. Right? And a mother would feed the baby until the baby is good enough to fly. And that's why you don't, you rarely see where you see baby eaglets. Because they're always someplace high. Someplace hidden. Someplace that you cannot see. And that's why whenever they find a site, they put the camera there. Everybody's watching it on their computer. Right? So then what happened is the ego at that moment, when it's 35, has to make a decision. They have to go and pluck their feathers because when they grow underneath each other, that stops them from flying the way that they're supposed to. So what happened in this renewing process that is that they go and break their beak so that the calcium buildup can break away and they pluck their feathers. So therefore, at that moment, they cannot eat. They cannot find things. And they said this, an ego can go about uh, um, 50, 70 days or so without food. But again, this is a make-believe story. But the reality of it is this. What happens is when the ego goes up on high and they do this. Now, what happens, they said the younger egos that are flying high at this moment, what they've done, they would drop food for that ego that, to be restored. 
for the, for the body to be renewed because they realize this once upon a time, they also going to get there. And if they don't, if they're not being kind to the one who are restoring, to the one who are being renewed at that moment, when it's their turn, nobody's going to pay it forward. So what I'm trying to tell you is this, though this is a make-believe story, but the reality of it is this, we have to pluck some stuff out of us and of us to be renewed. We have to break some friendship. We have to break some relationships. We have to cut some people off. We have to cut some stuff off. In other words, we have to prune ourselves. I went to Haiti three years ago, and I was at the university, um, the Christian North University um, in, in, in the north. And, and, and I haven't had coffee in, you know, in maybe, what, 14, 15 years? I don't drink the American coffee. It's not coffee. It's not real. My grandmother used to grow coffee beans, organic coffee beans, and she used to roast the coffee beans and grind it there, and that smell would slap you, good morning, you know, and wake up and all was well. And what they sell at Starbucks or Dunkin' Donut, it's not real coffee. It's about 18% coffee, and they just put other things in there, so it's not real. So I can't drink that water. Forgive me for my condescension on your favorite coffee stores, but I'm just trying to get to a story to close my sermon. So then I went to Haiti and know that the Haitian coffee, I haven't been to Haiti in 14 years, I knew the Haitian coffee was a great coffee. I mean, that's a, that's a coffee that my grandmother raised me upon. And, and for those of you who are true Haitian, you know that coffee was your breakfast. With a little bread, you dip it in there, and that was good enough for, to take you to your day. Can I get a witness for those of you who grew up in Haiti? I know all my Haitians. Amen. Amen. So, but now, I went to Haiti, and I'm sitting at the president's of the seminary, of the university's house. I went to preach and teach. So then uh, um, I'm sitting at the, pres at the seminary, at the president's house, and we're having dinner. And then I said, I haven't had coffee. And she said, he said, oh, we have the, 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 the person who's helping make you some coffee. And I said, sure. And then there was a Caucasian man who came to fix something at the uh, um, seminary level. And he was also there at the dinner table. And he says, Perry, I'm going to... I'm going to say something that's going to be disappointing to you. He says, the coffee that you're speaking of no longer exists in Haiti. I said, what are you talking about? I said, Haiti got the best coffee. He says, no. He says, the coffee in Haiti, the quality has been downgraded. I said, no, it can't be. The servant bought the coffee, and I tasted it. He didn't, I mean, it still tastes better than Starbucks and Right? But it didn't taste like what I remembered. And if you know something that, that's a taste in your mouth, you can go a hundred years and you're still going to remember that taste. And I said, what are you talking about? He says, let me tell you. It says because of the farmers who raise coffee in Haiti, they don't prune their coffee beans. That messed up the quality of the coffee. I said, what are you talking about? He says, listen. He said, every time after you get the harvest, you're supposed to cut the branches off so that when the next season comes, they'll be stronger. And he says, as a matter of fact, on the seventh year, you're supposed to give it a sabbatical year by cutting the whole thing 
to the roots so that it can grow up again. But it says this, the problem is the Haitian farmers, they don't have enough money, so therefore they rely on whatever it brings throughout the year. So therefore, they keep it because they cannot, they cannot afford to prune the coffee beans. So therefore, the quality has downgraded. And I said, oh my goodness, what happened, Lord? What happened to my favorite coffee? And it says, this is that. What I'm trying to tell you, I'm not talking about the Haitian coffee. What I'm saying to you is this. You, for you, for you to be renewed, you have to prune some stuff out of your life. You have to cut some things out of your life. It's not just about encompasses, encompasses. And no, you have to prune some stuff. The older I get, the more I realize that my group of friends are shrinking. The people in my circle are shrinking. In other words, there are people that are in your life for just a season. They are not part of the renewal process. They're just there for a season. So when you look in the mirror, as you say that, you know what, I need to be renewed. I need to cut some stuff up. And guess what? These people, they got to go. Because God, as he provides for you to sustain, and part of that is this, you got to let go. I'm done. So, here's my takeaway for you as you look honestly in the mirror. When you look honestly in the mirror that God has placed in front of you, I have some question for you. Do you see forgiveness? You have to see forgiveness because you've been forgiven. Do you see healing? You got to see that. You have to see it. Especially in the days that we live. Do you see deliverance? You've been delivered. You, not only have you been delivered from the sins, from your sins, but you've been delivered from the sickness that's happening around you right now. Remember this. A crown is on your head. Because I'm a king, because I'm a son of a king, because I'm a prince, because I'm a princess, then there's certain things I cannot tolerate any longer. And you must be satisfied. I love Matt Redman's song, Bless the Lord of my soul. Oh, my soul, bless his holy name. He says, 10,000 reasons. And they said this, the song was written because they wanted to explore how we can never run out of reasons to worship and praise God. I, I know, I know, I'm done. I preached 29 minutes and 52 seconds. When they're going to sing that song to close, you have to open your mouth and praise God for what he has done for you. Because if you, like me, if you just look into the mirror of your life, you know exactly where God take you, took you from. You know how he has healed your body. And you know how he has delivered you. And you know how he's put a crown on your head. And you know how he satisfied you. And therefore, you got to say, bless the Lord of my soul. Oh, my soul. Bless his holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul. But I worship his holy name. Now, let, 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 me, let me make sure you understand this. When you're blessing God, it's not something you do in your heart quietly. It's something that happens in your heart that you express out loud. Are you ready to praise God this, praise God this morning? Are you ready to bless his name for what he has done for you? Are you ready to bless his name this morning? Would you get in your feet as the worship team come and sing, Bless the Lord of my soul. Oh, my soul. Worship his holy name. May God bless you.